Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome, everyone. We're glad to have you today. Um, I This is a pre-recorded show, and I'm excited because I have another neuroscientist uh, and an author with us today who I'm going to share with you. Uh, who's created programs and done a lot of fascinating work that I'm going to just let him tell you about it. So I'm I'm delighted to to welcome Jared Cooney Horvath. Welcome, Jared. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So glad to have you. And and because the thirty minutes always go so fast, I have people who write to me every week like, "Why didn't you go longer?" It's like, no, thirty <laughs> minutes, and we're in and out. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, you know, going over. I mean, just you know, you've done so many things, and people can read about the work that you've done, um, and where you've been a lecturer at Harvard, at Harvard Medical School, University of Melbourne, and other places. You've you've published in the New Yorker, the Atlantic, all over, and I'm just. I'm really happy to have you uh, on the show today. And so let me start by asking, I know uh, right now you're currently the director of LME Global. And so I'd love to hear a little bit first about what you're currently doing, but how'd you get into this, all of the work that you're doing in neuroscience um, yeah. and about influence and others? Oh, I love it. So I was, it started out as a teacher. So teaching is my passion. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, but back when I was teaching, that was the decade of the brain. So I don't know if y'all remember that when everyone was coming into the school with like brain books and brain gym and brain, and you're like, man, this sounds awesome. Yeah. What are you talking about? And no one could tell me what it all meant. Sure. So I just figured, look, I'll go back to school. I'll get a little degree in neuroscience. And I, my thought was like, that will take a year. And then I'll come back to school and say, here's what this all means. Um, but that has kind of ballooned into 16 years now. I've been stuck in <laughs> academia. It's it's weird. It's like a yeah. black hole. I always say, yeah. if you're going to go back, be ready never to leave. Because yeah. once you're there, you're stuck. Sure. And so now, basically, I study base anything that has to do with the science of learning, we say. So neuroscience, yeah. psychology, artificial intelligence, behavioral economics. If it deals with learning, my job has been to synthesize that and bring it back to schools and say, this is what mm -hmm. it means for us as leaders, as teachers. Here's what it means for our students. Here's So really, I call myself a translator now as okay. I take all this stuff and I cut through it and I say, here's, here's the stuff I wish they would have taught me before I started in education. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fascinating. And, and uh, what, what level were you in teaching? Were, were elementary, middle, high? high school so 9 through 12 i was kind of the floater like i would that's what they called me whatever needed done i would kind of do it so my primary was math and english but basically if someone was like we need someone to teach geography yeah i'll do it we need someone to teach this yeah sure i'll do it so yeah, yeah. i worked across the board really yeah. oh wow that's that's fascinating and so now you this this organization lme global tell me a little bit so what is that yeah, so for the last 12 years now, I've been in Australia. So my wife is from Melbourne, born and bred. Okay. Um, so lovely part of the world, by the way. It, so when I was down there, I was really closely working with schools. And um, I built two programs, one for teachers and one for students. To okay. say, if this is how learning works, what does that mean for pedagogy? Or what does that mean for study? Um, and then a couple of years ago, my wife and I decided we wanted to start a family. And unfortunately, we some people don't have as much luck as others. So we've had a lot of medical intervention. And we decided we were recommended to come back to the US because they have better equipment, 
met her doctors. And so we moved back about two years ago and I just decided I was going to bring all of that stuff with me. So LME Global is basically my attempt at taking everything we were doing in Australia and bringing it back here. And so now I've been working with with schools and students again, which has been absolutely wonderful. And just seeing does science of learning resonate here in the US and lo and behold, people absolutely. still love it here, which is great. Absolutely. And I, just as a heads up to it was very successful. We have a 10 month old baby girl right now who you might hear <laughs> crying in the background. So best move I ever made in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And and I'm fascinated by that. You know, you have TED Talks and we'll tell people how to what which ones those are and, <laughs> and your books. Um and so I've I've been I've been reading and watching and I'm fascinated by it. As as you know, I'm the director of a program. Uh, that trains individuals that are aspiring school leaders, so principals, yeah. assistant principals, what have you. And one of the courses that we have, I don't teach it, but one of the courses we have, and we have experts that do a great job at this, actually is about helping our our future leaders to understand the, the science of learning, yeah. um, not just of students, because typically that's where educators get the information is about children. Like, okay, yeah. this is how children learn it. And what we focus on is we focus on how adults learn. So it's yeah. adult learning. Uh, it's a really interesting um, proposition, if you will, that when we when we started this program, the question would often come up, but why do you need to do that for adults? And, and it's a mistake that a lot of people make that yeah. they assume that once you hit that magic number of 18, uh, you're an adult <laughs> and you fall in this one category of you're an adult, right? And so- Congratulations. But, and, right, we, we know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're there. And so what we know, um, just like I'm sure, you know, a lot of your work has shown about um, adults too, is that there are uh, children um, that they, they learn one way at a certain age and then things, they have other requirements of what it means yeah. to learn later on um, and how that happens for them. Yeah, and I think what's, what's really good about that too is so if you take it back to the absolute base of what learning is, you can basically say from about birth to age five or six, man, you're in a totally different ballgame. That is, the brain is different, biology is different. Yeah. Congratulations, that's a whole world. Once you hit around five or six, then the base learning pattern is going to establish itself. And so if you can learn basically what is taking in information, what is locking down information, what is accessing information, that's going to stick throughout from five to 100 till you, you keel. The good news is as you get older, like you were suggesting, now we can talk about different inputs, what's needed to push you through that process. And as you get older, it becomes slightly easier, in my opinion, just because <laughs> I have to convince an 11 year old that this stuff is interesting. But if I have a 50 year old coming to talk about it, chances are they've already got an established interest and I've got a lot more I can hang my information on yeah. a lot more background information to say, let's stick this here. Yeah. and it's going to be a little cruisier for you. But with that said, I now once I said that, of course, everyone's thinking, well, no, you haven't seen the people I have to lead sometimes. <laughs> sure. They just shut right out. So it's it's not not always as easy as I just made it sound. Sure, sure. Well, I you know, I invited you on because there were there you have a new book, um, mm -hmm. Stop Talking, Start Influencing, right? Yeah. And that really resonated with me because I'm 
I'm in the business of training leaders and a big part of what they do, if we look at um, some of the strengths that are are necessary, one is in influencing strengths. Yeah. And so part of what you what you talk about kind of as a subtitle in this, the insights you have about how to make your message stick. And I, I, you know, while I don't expect that you'll be able to go through the entire book, but I would love for you to tease people with uh, some insights that you have about, one, how important it is to be intentional about your messaging, um, but that, but that how important that the what you said is stop talking and influence in a different way. What do what do you essentially mean by that? So it's it was funny. The book was originally called Stop Talking, Start Teaching, because I assumed I was just going to be writing purely for teaching. And then as it kind of bloomed, you realize, wait a second, these are the same principles for leadership. These are the same principles if you're a coach for a team, same if you're like running a business. Basically, at the end of the day, either we're all teaching or we're all influencing at some level. I have information or ideas or a vision I need to get across to you in a way that sticks. How do we do that? And so I think the good news is I think there's dozens of like tips and tricks and techniques and little things that you can learn. But I think if we if we wanted to really boil it down, you've got kind of three levels you need to think about. And level one is going to be attention. If I don't have attention, there's basically nothing's going to happen past that. So good. We always tend to say attention is the gateway to memory. And if memory is the gateway to learning, then we've got to pass this. And so I was going to, I was going to say like, when it comes to attention, there's reams of books written on, yeah, what, what do you do? What do you say? But really, realistically, there's one thing you need to know about attention. And it is, we tend not to live in this world. <laughs> that sounds weird, but bear with me. Everyone listening to this right now is not actually listening to my words. Everyone is about one to two seconds in front of me, simply predicting the words that are about to come out of my mouth. We live in predictions. And if so long as what I say is remotely close to what you're expecting, you're going to get the prediction and not reality. We live in our head. We do not live in the world. But anytime prediction and reality breaks fast enough, like there's a big enough discrepancy between what you expected and what actually happened in the real world, that's going to trigger an alarm in your brain, which forces your attention to go to that discrepancy that says, "Uh oh, we need to pay attention. We need to learn right now. So we call that technically that's error. When when we say in learning, you've made an error, what we're saying is there's a discrepancy between your prediction and reality, and your brain is going to try and get you to focus and fix it. And so a lot of the times when it comes to messaging, people are like, be funny, be cool, be this. Yeah, but all that's true. But if you look at the bottom of what's really working, it's that prediction break, you've done something that enough of the people didn't expect that now you force them to say, I need to know what's about to happen. Give me more, give me more. Mm -hmm. So I think the best example of this, and I'm sorry to ramble. I don't, but I no, 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 that's, there was um, a YouTube a couple years ago, they were deciding they wanted to run a big study. What guides attention in commercials? So they had a hundred different clips of commercials, different lengths, different action sequences, but they needed a baseline. So their baseline was a video that was just a black box. And the idea is sometimes you log on to YouTube, they're going to give you one of these videos, cool. Hands down, of the hundred videos they had created to say what's going to grab your attention, one of them was about 300% stronger than everything else. What was it? It was that little black box. (laughs) The one that they just were using as a reference. Because when you're watching YouTube, you expect movies. 
And as soon as people saw nothing, their attention went wildly focused. So they thought they'd made a mistake. So they, they went back, they reran the experiment, except instead of the black box, the black box had words that said, nothing is going to happen. Please skip through this. 500% boost in attention. People were now certain something was about to happen. And they watched that black box five times more than anything else. Wow. So I think that was just a great example. They didn't know what they had landed on and they still, they just think it's funny. But then we had to come in and say, no, no, you just demonstrated attention. If we expect one thing and we get another, that's going to be the key trigger to all of our attention. And once we get that, now we can start doing stuff with your attention. Yeah, that is so fascinating. I So while you were talking, I just started to think about uh, some of the things you said, one, about people being a step ahead. And I think we've all encountered at least once or twice in our lifetimes when people have tried to finish our sentences uh, yes. and they you're talking and and if you take even an intentional pause, they finish it. It's like, no, well, no, no. And you you what I've found is that even for me, as the speaker, I have to be disciplined enough not to use the word because sometimes they're trying to put the word in your mouth, but be yeah. disciplined not to use the That wasn't what I was going to say, right? Like I have to think no, and then use the word that I was intending to say. Yeah, so yeah. that was one thing about prediction that resonated with me. The other thing that what makes this to me so... Uh, important when it when you're talking about leadership is in messaging as a leader, there's information that you want them to know or you want them to believe. And so it's critically important that that message sticks. Is that yeah. what I'm saying? I don't need you to fill in with what you think is going to happen. I need you to really pay attention to what happened. I'll give you a quick example. I I was in a conversation and this was in a in a in a professional setting and and there was something that I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I said, well, to the person, I said, um, yes, it didn't it didn't quite happen like that. And then I went on to say what happened or what I said or what someone said. And then when the person went to repeat it back, they said the same thing again. I said, no, no, that that yeah. that's not what happened. Um, and I repeated it. And then we were talking again and we got through that. Then the person said again, the original way that they understood it. I said, so here's case in point though, yeah. that it has taken me three times to say to you X. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the perfect <laughs> example of how easy it is for people to not walk away with the accurate perception of something yeah. because it, and I, and I didn't say this, but it, but it made me think, how are you really listening? And then now as a leader, I have to reflect on how, what is my message? Am yeah. I articulating the idea well enough? Am I, did, is it the right set of words for this person? So instead of just repeating what I said before, maybe I have to pivot and say it a different way, right? I don't know. It, it... I think you, you you just hit another really key thing too, is you, you illustrated how deep our predictions go, mm -hmm. which makes being a leader, I think that's probably the hardest thing of your job mm -hmm. is when you have younger kids, 
like I'm teaching third grade, they've got they've got predictions, but they're very weak. And it's quite easy to sneak in and be like, no, I'm going to give you a new way to see the world. But you're dealing with someone who's got 50 years of locking something down and you right. come in and say, no, it's actually this way. Yeah. They're always going to swing. back. They've, their brain is going to go, well, that was a cool two minutes, but I got <laughs> 20 years of doing this. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. And so it becomes really, that could be when you were talking earlier about the difference between teaching adults and students. Mm-hmm. Adults do, there's going to be a little bit more work there. I kind of avoided that topic that, yeah, there's going to be a little more push. But I think when you were saying, it took me three times for you to finally hear what I was saying. There's actually a mechanism for that. And that goes into, I wasn't going to mention it, but I think that's really interesting. Is So anytime you learn something new, or you're going to change something about your prediction. Like, let's say um, I, I've never heard of the Eiffel Tower. And so mm-hmm. my first time ever seeing of hearing the Eiffel Tower was the day I stood in front of it in Paris. Yay. What happens is anytime you learn something new, your brain makes what's called an episodic memory. Basically, your memory becomes tied to the time and place where you learned it. It's context bound. Mm-hmm. So if I ever want to think about the Eiffel Tower for the rest of my life, I'll have to mentally transport myself back to that Tuesday afternoon and say, oh, yeah, I remember standing there. Cool. But what happens is you make multiple episodic memories. So let's say a couple days later, I'm having a drink in a cafe. What's that on my mug? It's the Eiffel Tower etched in my mug. Sweet. Now I have two episodic memories. I saw it in the day. I saw it in a cafe. A couple days later, I'm in a museum and there's a painting of the Eiffel Tower. I love that thing. Now I got three episodic memories. What happens is when you make multiple episodic memories, eventually your brain will compare and contrast it all. And it will pull out any similarity, anything that's the same amongst all your episodics. Mm. Your brain will pull that out, create a brand new context less memory in your brain mm-hmm. called a semantic memory. Mm-hmm. Now you can start doing something with it. Now we can say, you heard it, you got it. Now let's integrate that with mm-hmm. your being. Mm-hmm. So realistically, it's when people say, how many episodic memories do you need to build a semantic? We tend to say, and there's no, unfortunately there's no answer, right? Yeah. You grab a hot iron once, done. But some things like a periodic table, man, I'll do that dozens of times. I don't know anything about it. But a good rule of thumb, about 75 to 80% accuracy, the number is three. If you've got three episodic memories of something, that's typically enough for you to pull out a semantic fact and now start saying, wait a second, was my prediction wrong? Like, what what were you actually saying to me? So it's interesting that you brought up that number three. That seems to be where we land with this well, idea of you how about got that? pounded well, then, at least three th- times. There's another data point for you because it's, yeah. certainly, it's <laughs> like that's what it took. Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about um, was that I, I've been told, and I don't even remember where I got this, but that you also build those, those memories and allow people to learn something by engaging other senses so yeah. that they they learn they they retain it actually was the word that was used if you can engage other senses not just that they heard it but that they had some kind of other experience with it can you say yeah. a little bit about that absolutely so we've got well we, we tend to say five basic senses realistically we have about 21 but some of them you'll never be able to tap into. So one of your senses is the pH balance of your cerebral spinal fluid. So I don't know how you're gonna learn from that, but just know you can sense that at all times. (laughs) So if we stick with our five basic senses, um, what happens is if you get information from one sense, your brain is gonna try and correlate that with other things. And if it has nothing to correlate it to, it's just gonna pick random stuff from your memory. But if you get information coming in at two senses at once, 
Now your brain realizes what needs to tie together and you start getting what's called sensory integration. Mm -hmm. So just think about it like this. If I showed you a bunch of pictures, like a bunch of cats, let's say, you'd remember, and then a week from now I say, hey, how many of those objects did I, do you remember? You'd remember about 30%, which is awesome. If instead of showing you pictures, I simply said the words, here's a cat, here's a table, you drop down to about 10%. So from this, we start to realize, okay, visual images tend to be a little stronger than auditory, just words. But if I bring the two together, if I show you a cat and I say, that's a cat, if I show you a table and say, that's a table, nothing really hard. I just brought the two together. A week from now, your memory will jump up to about 65%. Wow. So you get more than the 30 plus the 10, you get this bonus 25% from where that's sensory integration. That's your yeah. brain saying, yeah. I figure out what you're trying to piece together and it gives you this little boost. Yeah. So anytime you can bring multiple senses in simultaneously yeah. and they're all kind of guiding down the same path, sure. you're gonna see just a natural inclination to hold onto that information better. Yeah. But with that said, there's one massive caveat that I gotta point out that most people, well, most people I think intuitively know, but they just don't think about. Reading and speech. So most people think, all right, if I've got, say, words on a handout while I'm teaching you about that handout, or if I've got words on a slide while I'm running a meeting and I'm telling you about that slide. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when people read, what we do is we convert reading into speech. So we hear our own reading voice. Anytime I read something, I'm hearing myself. Mm -hmm. And your internal reading voice is processed in exactly the same way as an out loud speaking voice. So far as your brain is concerned, reading is not a visual thing. It's an auditory thing. So that means if you're trying to read and listen to somebody speak at the same time, anyone who's ever had two kids yelling at them simultaneously remembers you can't pay attention to two people at once. That's when you go, okay, one of you zip it, one of you tell okay. you, you what's going on. So when we talk about combining senses, text and speech do not combine. They are the same exact sense in the brain. So if I have you reading while listening, I'm actually gonna start harming your learning because I'm trying to shove too much information into one of your senses. Mm. So you're better off teaching verbally while showing visual images. People can look at images without turning those into speech. So if I'm teaching you and you see a picture of a cat, those two are gonna glom together versus if there's the word while I'm trying to teach over it. Mm. So I just wanted to point out there's that one little yeah, issue yeah. right there. Absolutely fascinating. And I'm thinking about implications and hopefully people who are in leadership roles that are gonna be listening uh, to us talk about this are also thinking about the implication for the way we are doing things. So you're going to be, if you're going to influence and, and, and really get people to hear you, the, the, how you present that message is as important as what you're actually saying, like yeah. really thinking about how people are going to experience your message. Now, I think probably accidentally before I got your book um, uh, uh, is that I really think that there are um, there are things that we have, we, we kind of stumble upon. And so what I realized is that just kind of almost accidentally that there have been ways in which I've had to structure my message so that people experience it differently. So yeah. in one way, I've said it this way. And in other ways, I've had to give people time to kind of play with it a little bit, you know, like actually um, either, either 
tell it to someone else or 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 have some kind of experience with it so that it actually works and and so so i guess the what i'm what i'm hearing reinforced at least for me and please correct me if i'm wrong is that that it is it is important to think about those things yeah. if you're going to be effective uh, both in teaching so i i imagine part of it that you the reason you started doing it because you were talking to teachers who are saying i can't get these kids to re retain what i'm teaching right <laughs> yep. but it's the same Bingo. for adults that you're lead you're leading yep. that you want adults to walk away with a central message just like children have to walk away with the message of a lesson yeah and I, I bring parents into that too especially as leaders you guys are you've got your team your teachers that you're working with but I, the tricky thing I think with leaders too is parents. And we think that maybe that'd be different. It's the same thing. What is our messaging to parents? How are we making sure they're getting, we're getting things across to them in a way that's, they've built multiple episodic memories before we expect them to use it. And kind of what you were saying too, I think was a very important point, how you were saying sometimes we're gonna teach it. Sometimes they're gonna have to experience it. Maybe they have to teach somebody else. Maybe they've got to build something with it. Maybe they got to act it out, whatever it's gonna be. An interesting thing about memory, and I think this is something we, we, I think, again, it's one of those things, I think we intuitively know it until you hear it said, though, you can't really play with it very well. But once you hear the terminology and you see it laid out, you're like, now I can actually take agency over that. Yeah. Now I yeah. see what I've been trying to do intuitively. Boom, now I can be a little more focused and intent with this. It's so the key to all deep, lasting memories for humans, all memories are constructed. Yeah. We always think about how information goes into the brain to build memories. And that's totally, there is a lot to think about there. But the bigger secret is anytime you access a memory, that's what makes that memory deeper. If you access it again, that memory gets deeper. So the reason why I remember, say, radio jingles growing up, AM, PM, mini market, man, I haven't heard that in decades. Why do I know that? Because I sing it all the time. And every time I sing it, that memory is getting deeper, deeper, yeah. deeper. Yeah. But then if you think of something like, if I said, draw a penny as accurately as you could, and then you compared it to a real penny, you wouldn't even be close. Even though I've seen a penny thousands mm. of times, I put the information mm. into my brain because I've never been forced to access that memory. No one's asked me to do that before. I've got uh, no great deep memory for it. Gotcha. So I think a lot of the times we think, and I'm thinking with parents as much as with teachers now, if I teach it to you well enough, then it should stick. Like you've gone to a conference, there was some great TED, maybe maybe something happened. Why did you come back and nothing changed? Well, A, I'm not sure we've built our three memories to pull out that usable information. And B, have we done any recall whatsoever? After the meeting, have I sent out something that said, can you give me back these three points? Two days later, I sent out something to say, can you divine, define this topic that we were just talking about? These things which are tedious and that most people don't like to do, are the key to ensuring that whatever I just said is now getting making a deep memory so that mm -hmm. at some point you can actually do something with this information later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Fascinating. Well, you know, I this this has been amazing. As I told you, that 30 minutes comes and goes really fast. So <laughs> it's like we're already at the end. So I, you know, you you have a number of books. Uh, I I promised people I was going to share you with them. I just wish we had more time, but um, we, I, I'd love to hear, so where can people follow you, connect, um, and, and, you know, and again, any of the books you have, but social media handles, websites, podcasts that you're on, 
Um, I, I, I did want to point out that I saw where this your stop talking, start influencing has been translated into a number of different languages. I was yeah. really impressed by that. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, we wow. just I think they just translated it into Polish of all. I'm like, all right, uh, right. <laughs> let's get it into Poland. That's <laughs> awesome. But yes, anywhere, and I know you have TED Talks, so please share any of the places where people can can um, learn more about your work and support yeah. it. Yeah. So the the big spot is going to be LME. So Learning Made Easy is the company, lmeglobal.net. That's where we've got everything. So there's programs for teachers, there's programs for students. We're building a program for parents right now. That's where everything's going to be laid out. But beyond that, um, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, if you, I think it's just my name, Jared Cooney Horvath, but it's called From Theory to Practice, where every couple of weeks I try and put out a video where we take research and say, what does this mean for schools? So realistically, it's, and that's just a good resource if you want to keep up to date with what's going on in the research and what that means. Um, and beyond that, I'm on LinkedIn. That's about the only other place. I, I, I was on Twitter for a while, but I, I, man, I, it got weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I jumped yeah. onto LinkedIn now. Yeah, and sure. everything else, the books are on on Amazon and stuff. Yeah. So if you just, I think the name, Jared Cooney Horvath, if you Google that, you'll see everything you could possibly want to see about me and more unfortunately yeah yes awesome and i i can't recommend highly enough those of you listening in the that are in leadership roles or whether you're aspiring to be a leader to stop talking start influencing uh has some amazing um stories and 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 helpful information i think that will help you be more effective as a leader because much of what you do as a leader is influence others. And, and so we all need help with that. Uh, so thank you. And Jared, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm really hopeful uh, that the, I know your Ted talk on similar subjects is out there. So yeah. um, you did a great job on that. Um, yeah. And so on Amazon, if you, if you, uh, Google, uh, or I should do a search for the name Jared Cooney Horvath. Um, you'll see all his books. The other one, 10 Things Schools Get Wrong, I think. Wrong, and one. how to get them um, right. Yeah, and oh, yeah, how to get yeah. Them. yeah. And, <laughs> it's how, not and how we can get them right. Yeah, the subtitle. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, and I love, again, the solutions oriented approach. So, and yeah. with everything, it's not just pointing out this is what you shouldn't do, but hey, I got some ideas about how we could, we could do this better. So, again, thank you so much. I know you're out on the West Coast. Um, but if you're ever East, please, by all means, let me know. And I'd love yeah. to um, get together for, for coffee or tea or lunch. Uh, let me know if you're ever back in New York City. Um, but until we meet, go well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. It was lovely to be here.